0: This is the Horse Radio Network.
1: This is episode 133 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Omega Fields, the world's best omega-3 supplements for horses. Horsemanship Radio is a part of the family of the Horse Radio Network, and today we have two ladies who spend their days making the horse industry better, safer, and more fun. This is Debbie Lauks and you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Thank you for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and the 15th of the month, and I have my producer, Jen, with me today. Hi, Jen.
2: Greetings. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing just wonderful. We have a worldwide kind of gathering here today with our guest, Claire. Oh, Claire uh, from Ireland. Do you have any Irish in you? I'm not sure. Growing up <laughs> as a kid, I was told I did, but I have no proof. You know how that works with family
1: stories, you know? Yeah. I have zero yeah. proof that I really do. Yeah. 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 Well, Let's... you don't have an accent like Claire has. So oh, everybody no, has to like put on their, yeah, you know, she doesn't have a really deep accent, but just listen for it. When you first start, you'll get into her rhythm. She's she's adorable. I think people are going to love her. And yeah, and then we've got Pat Roberts from the other. Into the spectrum, who does have Irish in her, by the way? But she's, oh. she calls in. She's hailing from California on this interview. We had a lot of fun. It was really fun. Yeah. We had, yeah, we we were privileged to have the Certified Horsemanship Association come and put on a certification for equine facility management back in February. And so um, I thought it'd be important to have Mom on to tell us about why it was chosen they they jury each facility and why it's important for this certification thing to go on too why do we need to know that people are equipped to to manage a facility and yeah if,
2: if i understand it correctly the certification was held at flag is up farm and they're not certifying flag is up farm People who are members of CHA, the Certified Horsemanship, Horsemanship right. Association, come to Flag is Up Farm to become certified. It's almost like a little exam, but yeah. in order to qualify to hold the exam, I'm going to use my air quotes, at Flag is Up, Flag is Up Farm has to meet certain criteria.
1: Sure. Yeah. You have to pass right. the muster. Yeah. Right. That's right. right. You can't
2: just have it at Joe Schmo's hack stable.
1: Not for a CHA. You can't. No, that's <laughs> right. <laughs> No, they're very honored. Very honored because, yeah, they wanted a full service facility so that you had lots of opportunities to go through, oh, Lee, what they examine on them on. Yeah,
3: everything. everything.
1: Yeah, about the only thing we didn't have there, which people will find probably interesting, is that we don't have cross ties, but there are ways around it. And so we do do sometimes, we have a lot of um, uh, different ways. From inside the round pen, you know we have big eye hooks that uh, you can tie into and everything. But uh, for what we do, uh, and we have so many remedial horses, we have no cross ties. (laughs) So that's
2: an interesting point of view because where my upbringing, when it came to horses, I just assumed everybody cross tied their horse. mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And as I grew up, and I went to different parts of the country to work within the horse industry, I went, "Wow, there's lots of different ways to." tie up a horse. So now I go, Oh, okay. You don't have any cross ties. That's no big deal. But you're right. From some people's point of view, what do you mean? You don't have cross ties. It is not a skill that a horse is born with.
1: Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's a good skill to teach a horse to tie up. But so that's one of the things they have on there. And oh, my gosh, there were so many things from medical emergencies to horse handling to trailer loading. Fortunately, we have a covered arena. We have an outdoor arena. We have a round pen. We have a walker, hot walkers, oval and all, you know, just kind of a crazy ready for anything. Gentling pin. We have a race, race track. Exactly. <laughs> you do have exactly. one of those. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So there isn't much we don't have there. So it was a lot of fun. It, it was a lot of fun to see really talented, talented people came, you know, University of Colorado. You know, these people are in charge of really important stuff. And then some youngsters, I would say early 20s came to really, you know, kind of jumpstart their career putting themselves on the map as an equine facility manager so that was pretty interesting too because they they even being a part of CHA they get lowered insurance rates and it's a real resume builder you know it is an excellent
2: resume builder you're right yeah yeah yeah
1: and then Claire uh, also being there at the time too but her interview is about How important groundwork is. So, I thought that was really important to get her perspective on how she's teaching um, before you get in the saddle. So, I think people be fascinated by that too, because you think of Claire Conahan from Donegal, northwest of Ireland, as just in a saddle blasting through hedgerows and (laughs) across (laughs) green fields. And no, we actually teach groundwork too. Yeah. (laughs) It's
2: nice to see how the importance of unmounted training of horses and humans to do it has, has really become almost it's almost saturated the market so to speak because it, it started out and it was just you know only a few little nooks and crannies of the horse horse world saw its importance but you're really seeing it um permeate now you're seeing it with uh three-day eventers That's like tick right. maynard Example, That's right. It was on the show a little while ago. And you're seeing it in the Western disciplines, the English disciplines, even in the driving disciplines. And it's really cool yeah. to listen to her talk about how that was important and mm-hmm. how she's bringing that to the younger generation.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, Let me, let's get to it.
2: Yeah. yeah, let's get right to it. And we'll do that right after we hear from the good folks at Omega Fields.
4: Hi, Joe Camp here to share about Omega Fields. Omega Fields exists to help you keep your first promise to the horses you love, to care for them well. Nutrition is the foundation of a healthy life and supports all the activity that brings you and your horse so much joy. Omega-3s from flax are the cornerstone of that foundation. So, coupled with the finest ingredients and their proprietary pure-glean flax stabilization process, they created Omega Horseshine, Omega Horseshine Complete, Omega Nibblers, low sugar and starch, Omega Antioxidant, and Provenum Probiotic soft treats. Thousands of horses are experiencing a vibrant life with the help of Omega Fields products, including all of ours, a part of helping you keep your promise to your friends. Nutrition for a healthy life isn't just their slogan. It's their purpose.
1: Claire Conahan from the Donegal area of Northwest Ireland grew up having horses from a very young age and rides mostly English, but loves the Western style too. Her career with horses began with studies in equine science, which led her to work in the racing horse industry for about 10 years. She then trained as a riding instructor and has worked in Australia on a stud farm and on a cattle station too. On returning from Australia, she opened a trekking center where she offered pony trekking and started and trained young horses. She has always had that soft spot for thoroughbreds, and when she's not training horses at home, she works in the thoroughbred sales industry in Ireland and the U.K., which is where she wishes to help improve the miscommunications that sometimes lead to what people describe as behavioral problems in horses. Claire began to specialize in Monty Roberts methods in 2014 and has completed her instructor certificate since 2016 now. Claire was also certified as a Monty Roberts lead up instructor in 2018 to work with at risk youth. Well, welcome, Claire Conahan. I'm excited to have you share a little bit with us about what you're doing up at the Monty Roberts International Learning Center. And I asked you on today to learn a little bit about you, because I don't think we've had you on the on the show before, have we? No, I don't think so. Not, not that don't. Ah, well, we've been remiss. So I'm glad to finally yeah. have you on. And people might hear that Irish accent a little bit. But tell us, how long have you been a certified instructor here now?
5: And um, So I became certified back in October of 2016.
1: October of 2016. So you've got your feet wet and you've been teaching a little bit. We wanted to know a little bit about your horsey background before we start, so we kind of know who we're talking to as a horsey girl. Do you want to tell us okay. a little bit about how you got into horses?
5: Yeah, sure. So when I was a kid, I was lucky enough to have um, a mother who loved horses as well. And we had some land. So we would go to horse sales and Mum would buy horses and, we just kind of were lucky enough to play around with them and enjoy riding them from a kid and sort of since i could speak i think horses were <laughs> basically all i ever wanted to do uh-huh. um so when i finished school then i went and trained as a riding school instructor and then started to ride out in a racing yard which i fell in love with as far as i loved it it was just so much more fun so i switched to working in the thoroughbred industry and i stayed there for about 10 years i started off in the national hunt and then went on to flat yards then i went to australia done a little bit in stud farm over there and then i went cattle mustering so that's like rounded up cattle on
1: horseback is that what they call uh, it in uh, australia uh, is cattle mustering yeah that's great mustering yeah
5: So that was a lot of fun. And uh, I came home then and went back to the teaching horse riding again and really enjoyed it in some ways. But I found it really difficult because the horses were mostly my own that I had from foal. And if people were given mixed signals, like they'd kick the horse to walk on and then the horse would go and then they'd lose their balance and pull on their mouse. And I later realized that I used to be in knots in my stomach but, and I was translating that out to the horses or transferring it to the horses, which mm. wasn't <laughs> a great idea. So I I'd switched in and I had done mostly pony trekking, which was better for the horses, I thought, because people were able to sort of gain their balance and stuff on the horses while the lead horse showed the way. And if the lead horse trotted, the rest of them trotted. If somebody lost their balance, you could slow the whole herd down. And it was great that way. But I, I knew about Monty as a child and I would have watched him on horse and country and things like that. But I never realized that you could actually go and train until one time I seen um a join up clinic being advertised by Caroline Jennings
4: mm-hmm. in
5: Kildare at the time and I was in Donegal. So I called her up or I emailed her and you know, was really interested in it. And I had a horse that I'd had from racing. I, I got him through the racing yard I worked in.
1: Mm-hmm. And
5: he was a different horse than what I had remembered. He was the worst windsucker I've ever seen, really nervous. And I just, I wanted mm. to understand why, why do the horses end up like this here? What, what happened to him to make this happen? So I brought him with me and I went to the clinic with Caroline and then realized that you could actually train to come and work as Monty's, one of Monty's instructors. And that just set me straight on the on the path towards it. And I went to Larigold in, in the UK and done the introductory course months later and then the following year i done my exam came straight to california and done the dance course and a few months later i came back here and i was like okay i need to know more before i do the exam and i practiced here for three months and absolutely loved it and monty then examined me i passed and i was delighted with that and i went home and I was supposed to be coming back three months later, but 10 days later, I was on a plane back over here. I wanted to know more and understand more. And I've always, ever since 2016, I come back every year and spend a few months here teaching and working alongside Monty and learning more. And last year, we actually had Monty come over to Ireland and do a demonstration, which was fantastic because he hadn't been there for 10 years. So that was really exciting
1: was so exciting to have him over there too. And it seems silly that he goes to the UK so often and hadn't been over to Ireland. So I'm really glad that the three of you, Porik and Katrina and you had put together a great team. And now between all of you, you're probably one of the more active countries, I would say, would you agree?
5: Well, certainly since the demonstration, we've had more interest in the courses, you know, cause I think people didn't really understand beforehand a bit like me, I suppose, that you see Monty on TV and you hear about his method and you read his books, but you don't actually realize that, oh my gosh, I can actually go and train and, and start to understand this myself. Like for for me as a child, or even before, like even long into my adult years, I mm-hmm. sort of just thought, oh my gosh, he's just this horse whisperer who, or, who lives in California and he just has this magic, natural ability to communicate with the horses that Mm -hmm. you can't learn but um so through doing the courses and stuff and understand a little bit more it's it's not a magic trick it's basically well Monty definitely has a there's no doubt about it he definitely has a talent with the horses and he's so much better with them than anyone I've ever seen and he can read them better it's just it's so fascinating to watch him work and to work alongside him but to be able to learn that it's your body language it's your eye contact it's pressure release at your time and everything like that there makes such a difference to the horses which I probably wouldn't have understood before
2: mm-hmm.
5: so yeah. Um, yeah people are starting to get the message that you can hey. learn this and one to isn't that better. the
1: most yeah isn't that the most important message because if it's all about a guru then it goes away with a guru if he doesn't share his timing and his secrets and his tips um as 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 it was when he was growing up. And he would say, Claire, I'm, you know, I'm 80 something now. And um, you know, my timing should be better than most <laughs> because I've yeah. been practicing this practicing this a long, long time. But he would also say, what an advantage your generation has to be able to take these concepts and just improve upon them and get the timing more correct. He looks at videos of when he was first invited over there in 1989 to demonstrate to the queen. Before that, he wasn't a demonstrator per se. He was a trainer and he did it quietly in a round pin with high walls and wasn't worried about sharing it with other people or how it looked or how it sounded. He certainly didn't MC his (laughs) join-ups with his horses by himself in there. So he became a better teacher, but he would say, Probably the way you do a join-up today looks better than he did in front of the Queen in 1989. Do you believe that? Yeah,
5: well, absolutely. I feel like all the time we're learning more and more about how the, the horses communicate with each other and how when we make certain movements around them. And as you say, if Monty wasn't watching back what he was doing, it's sort of... You know, he wouldn't have had access to videos, to everything he was doing beforehand. But I guess from looking back on things over the years, he started to fine tune it and realize, well, you know what? I've actually realized that works a little bit nicer than this does. And then, you know, he's tweaked a lot of it over the years to to help us. And then when he teaches us and watches us do it. And what's that saying that they say? If you want to really learn something, teach it. You start teaching it to other people and you get more of an understanding of it.
1: Yeah, very good. And you are a great teacher. I will vouch for you on that too. And you explain things well and Anything in that Irish accent, I'm, you know, I'm open to listen to anyway. It's, it's great. <laughs> but but it, it, our the subject is so important because you're putting on a course right now. And I, I thought it would be a great opportunity to learn a little bit about what you're passing on. It, that's our theme. And you've got some future horse persons there, actually. They're working in the industry right now, um, Pony Club and otherwise. But we would love to hear from them a little bit. And, But I'd like to ask you first... What's this course you're teaching and how is the the Monte Roberts International Learning Center, the MRILC, looking to the future for horse persons uh, by passing the concepts of Join Up and Equus? Maybe you could explain a little bit about that. How are they passing that on?
5: Okay, so we have a group of students from a local school at the moment here. They're from the Don school, so it's a boarding and day school, and they have a week where they're able to go and do different activities It's still part of their school curriculum, but it's like learning tools that will help them towards what they want to do in their future. So we've been lucky enough that some of the students have chosen to come here and spend their week with us learning about horsemanship and Monty's concepts and how to sort of bring it back home to their horses that they work with at home. And um, it's really fascinating because they, they all have quite a bit of experience with their horses at home and they learn so quickly that they've gone so fast through the curriculum that I had ready for them that we were mm. getting to go and do more stuff which is great and um, I think it's really nice to sort of see the young people that want to understand a better way for their horses and they want to develop a better relationship with their horses you know and gain better results and one of the things that we found through talking over the last couple of days is how important groundwork is with your horses because and I know this from like my own experience as well I always rode horses as a child I always rode horses all my life and it was like when people would tell me that they worked in stud farms and it was mostly groundwork they'd do I'd say oh my gosh how can you want to just do groundwork all day that's no fun and you don't get to ride Mm them and I'm finding now that from doing more groundwork I absolutely love it and I'm learning so much about the horses which I then transfer to my riding which has improved my riding so much more than I could ever have dreamed of. And one of the girls actually said to me that that was one of the things she'd done on the day. So they were here Monday, they'd Tuesday off, so she went home and practiced a little bit on Tuesday doing groundwork with her horse. And when they rode it, then they had better results. So that's fantastic to get that kind of
1: feedback. Yes, is, that is. Uh, we'll have to talk to them about that and ask why they think that is true. So do you want to, I would love it if we did a little round robin here and start off with Natalie and get her impressions of your course. Yep, actually, I'll put you on to Natalie right now. All right. Hello. Hi, Natalie. How are you?
4: Good. How are you?
1: Good. Thank you for agreeing to give us a little bit of feedback from your couple of days. Now you've got about a day and a half in. And how many days are are you visiting this week?
4: We are here three days, Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday.
1: Great. And what are your impressions so far?
4: So far, I've learned a lot about groundwork and just I had known about Monty Roberts when I, cause I had gone to a clinic when I was around 10, but just coming back and like actually getting to work with his horses and work with what he does with them. Like I've learned a lot about how your body language really affects the horses mm-hmm. and how to have a stronger connection with them really.
1: Yeah. And why do you think that is? It it does seem to build a a stronger connection. Is that trust? Is it, I don't know. What do you think happened when you went home and had a play?
4: I feel like it's more you're speaking their language. Uh, Since they don't speak like people do, they communicate through their body language. And if you're able to reflect that, then that's how, like, your strongest way of communicating with
1: them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what do you ride? What, what kind of horse um, what breed?
4: Uh, I ride a six-year-old therpa gelding and I compete in three-day eventing. Do
1: you? Okay, good. And how long have you been riding?
4: Um, I've been riding for about 10 years now.
1: Look at that. So it, it always it seems funny when people say, oh, she's she's only 25. She couldn't have had that much experience yet. How old are you now?
4: Um, I'm going to be turning 18 on
1: Saturday. And you've already had 10 years experience. So by the time you're 25, you've had more work experience, you know, or skill experience than most people had in their careers, you know, that uh, are are young age. Yeah. So I, I love to say that about horse people because we start earlier than most, most disciplines. So what do you want to do with your career? Are you taking it further or is this just a high school fling for you?
4: Um I was really looking into becoming a horse trainer working with horses through college and after college.
1: Good girl and, and do you uh, this three day eventing, are you mostly in the California West Coast area or mostly even just local central California?
4: right now, I've just been in California, both southern and up to around Fresno area.
1: Mhm Do you so think
4: out of state yet?
1: Nothing out of state yet. Yeah. It's it's time commitment, especially when you're going to a, a college prep school like Dunn too. So proud of you for, for hanging in there with the horses too to eighteen. We lose a lot of people at sixteen, seventeen. So I'm glad you're still hanging in. And you're gonna be part of the industry. So what do you think you're taking into the industry after from Claire going forward?
4: Just like a lot stronger understanding about the groundwork working with the horse, because I've been taking lessons since I was around eight and I would only ride the horses, and so I never really learned how to, like, properly train them and work with them on the ground. Great. So I think this great. is really going to further my ability to be a horse trainer.
1: Perfect. Okay. I agree with you. That's great. All right. Do you mind passing me on to Lauren? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Natalie. Thanks. Hello. Hi, Lauren. How are you?
0: I'm doing good. How are you?
1: Good. Good. So tell us a little bit about your horsey self.
0: Okay. So I've been riding, I'm 16 now. I've probably okay. been riding for about 10 years now. I started showing in national competitions when I was eight. I also do three-day eventing. And I've been working with my mom, training horses. I got my first off-the-track thoroughbred when I was 12. And mm-hmm. I've mainly just been doing The riding portion of training, I've never really had the opportunity to do ground training because we get our horses when they have already been trained on the ground for the most part. So I currently ride a three-year-old who is a thoroughbred warm blood cross. She's a chestnut mare, and I am assisting my mom
1: with training her. That's young. A thoroughbred yes. mare, chestnut mare, no, usually have an opinion about everything too. <laughs> and uh, yes. and Suri is is quite ambitious. I think that's great. How's she going to be, do you think?
0: We've definitely had some struggles in the past. She is not the most cooperative under the saddle,
6: mm-hmm.
0: but I think this clinic will really help me connect with her on the ground nice. because I've already tried some groundwork with her and it has improved. and. Um, gone to our riding and helped me with that a lot.
1: I should add the the caveat too that you and your mom know what you're doing. When I say that you have a young horse, I don't worry about you a bit. What did, d- d- if anything, did you take home and tell your mom about this course that you thought she might be interested in?
0: Well, she has a very different way of doing things with horses. She can be more aggressive at some point and she's more knowledgeable with the riding training. Mm -hmm. She doesn't exactly have the patience or time to do things on the ground. And Mm -hmm. she has allowed me to take the time when I have it to work with my horse. And I think, I don't know if she will attempt it, but she'll definitely encourage me to do some more groundwork with my horse.
1: Good. So some of it was a revelation to her that you could, you could do what you were doing with a horse from the ground. Oh, did I hear that? Yes. Yes. Great. That's very cool. Very cool. I'm glad you're there. And I am so excited that you're, you're going to be sharing this stuff too. So you're going to, you're going to take this into the industry too and stay with horses.
0: Yes. I Great. would like to follow my mom's footsteps. Um, she is an excellent horse trainer and she teaches riding lessons and she's gone up the levels pretty much as high as you can go
1: with mm-hmm. eventing. She sure has. And she's my hero too, because she didn't let age get in the way at all. She just kept going right through all those age brackets and she rescues OTTBs. And to me, those two traits are some of the highest in regard in my book that there are. So I'm, you'll pass that on to her for me, please. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right. Do you mind sharing the mic with Shelby?
0: Yes.
1: Thank you. Hello. Hi, Shelby. And tell us about um, your horsey self. What do you ride?
7: I'm 14 and I have a nine-year-old thoroughbred and a nine-year-old Arabian.
1: Really? And you I do You do With both of them? Yeah. Great. Great. Which is your favorite? I will not tell them.
7: I'm not sure. (laughs) I've worked more with the Arabian, but I want to go farther with the thoroughbred.
1: Thoroughbreds and eventing. Yeah. Are you pretty brave up there? Yeah. (laughs) Yes, I bet you are. Did you feel a little less sure of yourself when you were doing the groundwork this week?
7: Not really, because I'm kind of small, so I have to deal with my big horse. But I think this will help me not have him run me over.
1: That's a good thing. A <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny that people um, are not so familiar with training to, or their horses to keep a bubble around them and have that respect for your space. And it's so important. I think it's actually beginning to take hold. and. For women, that's a huge advantage because the horse industry a hundred years ago was predominantly men, and because they thought that you needed a bigger, stronger body there to actually handle the horses. Handle the horses. What do you think is the biggest advantage of groundwork?
7: I think it helps a lot when you get into the saddle because they have more respect for you.
1: Very good. Uh, and mm-hmm. and what about? Did Claire bring up any? Um, Issues about trust, too, that it might build some trust between you?
7: Yeah, which I want to build more trust with my horse,
1: yeah. both of them. Yeah, both of them. That's great. Well, we'll watch you on the eventing circuit, yeah. and hopefully you will stay with it. Do you want to keep in, stay in the industry, keep with those horses?
7: Yeah, I'm not really sure what I want to do yet, though, but I know it has to do with horses.
1: Oh, good girl. Okay, good. <laughs> Well, we'll watch your career. It'll be really fun, Shelby. Thank you. Do you want to hand me back to Claire? Yeah. Thank you. Hi, Debbie. Claire, you have some talented girls there. That was a lot of fun. I, yeah, I definitely
5: do. They've been a lot of fun to teach, and it's been wonderful to see how fast they learn and
1: how quickly they take up the methods
5: to join up mm-hmm. down in nearly a day.
1: Yes, yeah, so they've done their join-ups now?
5: They've done, their, they've done two join-ups so far.
1: Did it make the hair go up on the back of their necks? <laughs>
5: <laughs> I'm not actually sure, but they really, um, they really understood, you know, mm-hmm. how to
1: make the connection with the horse, Good. and it was okay. it was
5: really really nice to
1: see. Good, uh, Claire, you're so fun out there too. I heard, you, was it yesterday? You were doing the herding exercises, or was? Was that today?
5: Yeah, so we, we done the herding exercise yesterday and then we repeated it again today and I gave them what I thought would have been a more difficult course, <laughs> and I had to make them do it twice over just to make it more difficult. So I was like, okay, you've done it one way let's see you do it in reverse see oh you're you so mean the <laughs> and they aced it but they had so much fun so
1: it was great <laughs> very good hey that is saying something well that's fun I, you deserve to have some talented people out there and have a, have a little fun with it too so it's really great that yeah. it's local girls so well thanks thanks for coming on and letting us have a little insight and little peek into what your days are like there at the school and uh, do you have anything coming up that people should know about
5: So we've quite a few courses coming up um, this year. And this year is actually our first year to break the introductory course into modules, which makes it more accessible for people. So you can come and take the the introductory course in four three-day modules. For the first three modules, you can take them in any order. But the fourth module, you have to have taken one, two and three in order to be able to come and take module four. And I've found that it's a really, really nice way of um, teaching it because I've had experience teaching it in both ways, just having the introductory course. And there's a lot to be said for being able to spend two full weeks and repeating everything the next day and, you know, moving straight on from what you've learned yesterday. Mm
6: -hmm. But
5: there's also great value in being able to come, get a taster of the first three days, or even if you're able to do two modules together and then go home and practice and come back and fine-tune it again. Of course, we we also offer field study as well. So when you go home, you're not left on your own to sort of just figure it out and come back and take your exam. You can send videos to us where we offer you feedback to help, you know, anything that you may have understood fully when you get home. Because sometimes things can go perfectly when you're here and you have the instructor who's able to help you out. And then you get home and you think, oh gosh, I've never come across this problem before. How do I sort it out? So, when you can have a video and send it into an instructor and have them give you feedback, I think that's valuable.
1: Information. So it's yeah, sure great. is, sure is great. Okay, that's wonderful. Yeah. I think you know, Dad would have said that. Boy, if he had thirty or forty years ago, could have sent in videos to his old master teachers and have them give you feedback. it would have been like miraculous. <laughs> but oh, he's yeah, yeah. It's really hard to go home and recreate the situation. But it's so important to go home and work with your own horses to to get that muscle memory going and to to run up against walls like you say too. So yeah, that's cool. Oh, definitely. Right?
5: But, Great. you know, it's helped me in ways when I went home, I remember in my field study and I remember having one horse that was really difficult to keep him moving and he wasn't listening to me. But I wasn't getting my timing right with my pressure release. But had somebody have not pointed that out to me, I would never have understood the difference. So when I was able to watch the video back, it was so clear to me Then I was able to go, oh, my gosh, that is just so easy to see. Yeah. now." Whereas before I just wouldn't have known to look for it.
1: So many people tell us, "Oh, my horse is stubborn. My horse won't move away from me when I try to get the join up." And that is all about the person and the body language and learning that that equus language, isn't
5: it? Yeah, absolutely. Because if you don't realize that you're giving mixed signals to your horse, mm-hmm. how are you going to know if you, you know, if he's doing the thing that you want him to do or not? You know, how is he going to understand what you want if you don't have your timing right and you don't have the pressure and the release right?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a lot to learn. And so um, I hope people will look you up. How do they How do they get a hold of you there?
5: So we have quite a few options where you can get in, in touch with us. We have a, our website. and um, You can go to www.montyroberts.com or you can go to joinup.org and you then can find out any information on all of our courses. We're open to taking emails here or calls right here at the school. So if you had any questions about any classes that were upcoming and you weren't sure if you could you know, if it was the right path for you to take, we can advise you on which courses might suit you best according to your experience with horses.
1: Okay. And that email address is? The email address
5: is admin at joinup.org.
1: Okay. And join-up.org. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Well, thank you, Claire Conahan, all the way from Ireland to do this for us. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for having me on. It was fun. Thanks, Claire. Cavallo, Horse, and Rider, Carol, and Greg Giles, too, have been longtime supporters of the Horsemanship Radio, and we thought, you know what better way to show how their support goes than through the people who buy their boots. So we have this from Brenna Eldridge on a Facebook post. I could not be happier with my decision to transition my horse to barefoot and choosing Cavallo for his hook protection. I always thought my horse just had bad feet and that he would always be lame barefoot until I realized that I was enabling that dependency. By allowing his feet to adapt back to the way that they were naturally intended, his feet have become strong and he now seems perfectly comfortable barefoot. With the added weight of a rider on rough terrain, I invested in my first pair of Cavallo boots. I went with the Trek boots, and they fit him perfectly. I was able to do anything that I could do in metal shoes, and I have no longer stress over him losing a metal shoe and damaging his hoof when removed. The Cavallo boots have provided him greater shock absorbencies when riding on hard ground, and so far, whether it be on trails or in the arena, he seems extremely comfortable in his boots. I do a variety of riding, including trails, gaming, and drill, and I'm excited to get into the gaming season to put truly those boots to test i believe that in horsemanship you have to pick methods that make the most sense to you and for me that is the naturality of barefoot and the protection of the cavallo boots brenna Pat Roberts is an accomplished horsewoman. She grew up loving horses and has trained, bred, and showed championship horses. She met Monty Roberts in grammar school, and after marrying, they began their careers together with horses. A talented artist, too, it was natural for her to gravitate towards creating numerous sculptures of the horse in motion. Pat has been honored with many awards, and her sculpture is part of the permanent collection at the Kentucky Horse Park in Lexington, Kentucky, the European Museum of Art, as well as in several corporate headquarters, both here in the United States and abroad. She has collectors in 15 countries and is in the personal collection of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II at Windsor Castle. Welcome, Pat Roberts. I got to get my mom on today. How are you? I'm great, thank you. I just got back from my art
6: class, so I'm on a high.
1: Yeah, I know. That's always your favorite moment of the week, Thursday mornings when uh, you get to, uh, yeah, zip off to Los Alamos, which is what, 20 minutes up the road or something and take an art class? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I yes, have a and,
6: wonderful teacher and, yeah, and great, great friends that uh, take the same class.
1: Yeah, and your still lives are just looking awesome. Most people know you for your sculptures, your your bronze sculptures in, in 3D, but you make 3D come to life on canvas in oils, correct? Is it oils or acrylics that you use? It's
6: oils, yeah.
1: It's oils, old-fashioned way. I mean, these look like mm-hmm. master works of art. It's really, it's beautiful work. Oh, anyway, but my daughter really, bragging. <laughs> no, I mean, if, if nobody else agreed with me, you could say that, but everybody agrees with me. So you can't <laughs> say it. it's not true. It's, they're beautiful and they're, your house is getting to be full of them. So I get to a- admire them every week when I'm up there. But I, I wanted great. to give you a little bit of a respite from from art for a second and talk about why you're stuck there the other six and a half days (laughs) a week, because running a farm, running a farm operation as large as yours is an interesting skill. It's definitely a skill set. And, we recently had the, the CHA, that's the Certified Horsemanship Association, easily said, to the farm to put on one of their equine facility management clinics. And I thought it'd be interesting to go over with you why they picked Flag is Up Farms, how um, complete a facility that you had, and maybe we could glean for our listeners a little bit of the things that they pointed out that maybe every facility might. Need and in order to be a good equine facility manager, how do you how do you run these things? And my first question was: I thought everybody has this question. I think whether you're at an equestrian center and you don't even have your own barn, or whether you have to run a barn with a lot of different owners as part of it. But when do you call the vet?
6: That's that's always a, a judgment call on the part of the farm manager. You. Uh, you just assess, um, first off, you treat your, your uh, customer's horses exactly like you would treat your horses. So you don't just, a horse sneezes and call a vet. You assess what the horse is, is acting like, what it's looking like, or if it's something that's running into the fence and they've cut themselves, and it's something that's not going to just wrap up and, and heal on its own, then you call the vet. And you try try to to be cautious in not just every time something happens, call a vet. Because if you call a vet out for little small things that you could take care of yourself, and and you have good people in your in your barn that can manage and and treat and give give the antibiotics and things that you know you normally would have it in your tack room, then you really save uh, your customers a lot of m- lot of money. And uh, the vets are happy with you because they know that when you call, it really is something that they need to be there for. So that's 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 how you assess.
1: Yeah, great answer. That that's a bit art and science too, but it, it's something to learn for sure. And and how do you when you're looking down a barn aisle and you're keeping track of all the horses as you do? So how many horses do you have on the farm right now? Just I know they come and go, but
6: I would. Say uh, we must have around 100.
1: About 100. So, and how many Mm -hmm. barns does that cover? Because you've got to move from, you've got to walk around from Uh one to another.
6: Well, let's see, that's one, two, three, four, five barns plus a quarantine.
1: That's right. And I was going to, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions about that quarantine too. But as you're, as you're down there, and I know you get up early in the morning and you head on down there and you work with your, with your barn manager, Henry, and, mm -hmm. and assess horses and you get out on the track with them sometimes. And you're definitely watching them all go. How do you identify unsoundness and and blemishes in a horse where it, it really is something that it concerns you versus it's something that, ah, you know, it's just an off day?
6: Well, you know, actually, horses don't really don't have off days. If you if you go down and you see a horse that, and this is one thing that we always do before they go to the racetrack, we walk them around or or jog them, and if we see anything at all that looks abnormal, we will deliberately jog them in a circle or straight away and assess if it's a a lameness, whether it's a, a one out of five or a you know, or two out of 10, and then decide whether or not we want to give the horse the day off and see what happens the next day. Or if it's a five out of 10 or, you know, or four out of five, definitely will not go to the track or to the arena. And that's the time that you will call the bet. Mm -hmm. There
1: you go. Okay. one.
6: You have to be hands-on, though. That's something that you've got to assess these horses on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have a great barn foreman. Henry is, is super. He's been with us for many years. And and uh, he he understands how conservative we want to be with other people's horses. And if something looks a bit off and I'm not there at the barn yet, he'll hold off and, and won't do anything with the horse till I get there and get a chance to assess it.
1: Mm-hmm. So, you've got really two great eyes on the ground, too, which is part of it. Just experience mm-hmm. is a big part too. So, the last health question I'll get off the health subject here, but do you do you create routine health care schedules for the horses, or do we, the owners dictate that all?
6: no, no we we create we we have our own schedule. Although if an owner uh, decides that they want to worm monthly instead of every three months like we normally would, we'll we'll accommodate them and we'll allow them to decide what they want with their horses because actually what we are is a service and the customer is always right,
1: hopefully. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's their horse is what you're saying, yeah?
6: It's their horse, yes. And if, you know, like we have one customer that likes to worm once a month, and of course, you know, you go back and forth on different warmers, but we we like to warm every three months, and of course, our inoculations are set by standards, and uh, and we we adhere to those.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and you have good vets in the area too, so that if an owner does need to lean on you, the the next thing that I was going to ask you about too is, uh, it seems like we get this question a lot with nutrition and figuring out the nutrition requirements of foals or lactating mares or uh, performance horses or not performance horses, retired horses. You've got, you've got some out in the pastures that are geriatric and, and retired. How do you cover all the nutritional requirements? How do you, how do you source hay these days? And you know, how do you create from an equine facility? Yeah. It's it's really difficult to find good hay. You 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 try to
6: develop a relationship with a supplier, and you let them know what your standards are, and you examine everything that comes onto the property, and sometimes you will get a load of hay that you'll say, oh, I don't really like this. It's a little bit too stemmy," and you'll call your supplier and say, "Look, you know, this isn't quite up to what we normally would like," and at that point, our supplier will say, "Well, that's the best that we have right now, and maybe you'd like to feed uh, part alfalfa and part uh, forage hay." Or, mm-hmm. you know, we, we tried to uh, we, we we tried to not do anything in an absolute way. Mm-hmm. One must be adaptable, and there are certain times of year that you can get great hay, and other times you're going to have something that's been stored and it won't be as, it just won't be up to what you really would like to have
1: when in the middle of hay season. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good. Okay. So yeah, that's uh, it, no matter where you are in the country, that's, that's an issue. And some places more difficult than others for different kinds of things. But th- the one thing that's unique at flag is your manure management system. Let's call it that. And, but I know it's not a unique problem. Tell us a little bit about what your your composting system.
6: Well, that's that's what we've done. We we've gone uh, strictly to shavings, with exception of of a, a folding there. We don't like to fold on shavings. We fold on on straw, the mm-hmm. old fashioned way. Yeah. And but we use shavings to bed our stalls with, and uh, they're picked up daily, and we stockpile them in an area that's sort of off to the side of the, the farm. And then we, uh, what we have developed is a composting system, and it works out really well. It com our, shape our everything that that we take up off the bottom of the stalls go into a pile, and it sits there for a little bit, and then we move it to what we call the hot pile, and we use uh, pipes and heat, and we have a heating system that goes on and off automatically, and we cook. Our shavings are the manure. And after about 30 days, it's amazing the the wonderful quality that we get uh, of compost. You can p- take a handful of it and lift it up and s- smell it. And it smells like just pure dirt. And then mm. it's moved off into another section of the property and stockpiled there. And then uh, it's sold. And so we are... Yes, it costs a lot to, to bed stalls, but we have a way of, of getting rid of the waste. And it's in a way that's conservative and does some good.
1: And we mm-hmm. also use it on our fields, our pastures. Right, right. So, yeah, you've got it actually going in a cycle for you, too. What is mm-hmm. Is that the biggest challenge these days is actually getting rid of it? Or is the bigger challenge being able to, are people having to pay to get rid of it these days? Or how are they getting rid of it?
6: A lot of people are paying, like like our local people or Marburg, to come in with big trucks and haul it off. And it's very, very expensive. And by setting up this composting system, which we've had for several years now, we actually get paid for composting. Uh, We don't get a lot, but we don't have to pay to have it hauled
1: off. And that's the important thing about these. Ongoing, yeah. So the initial cost is the setup, but is it an expensive Mm -hmm. system to set up?
6: Well, it just depends on the size. Ours is fairly good size. And I really don't recall what it cost. It's been a few years now, but it, it pays for itself in a short period of time.
1: Well, there you go. People should look into that too. So, Definitely. so now, yeah, I know that you've got you're 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 not an equestrian center per se that people don't come and go that way, but you've got some trainers there that have their they own do. barns full, yeah, of of people, of horses, and uh, not just one trainer per barn. You've got some trainers going with all these horses. So how do you how do you create a system considering assigning and use of arenas and turnout areas and wash racks and you know all the commonly used facilities? How do you work that all out and stay loving each other. <laughs> <laughs>
6: well, it, so far it's worked out beautifully because we've got really good people that are here uh, on the farm. Um, both are professional trainers and uh, Casey granquino and June Tabor. And they're in, in separate barns and they have their separate uh, wash racks. And uh, the use of the arenas, uh, we Everyone is really cooperative there because during the time that it was raining, the use of our covered arena was a premium. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. and the way we set it up, we set it up so that the thoroughbreds got to go in first thing in the morning. And then both Casey and June were really great about sharing it. And if there was something special that they had to do, they would let the other one know. And, you know, and, and they, they really respected one another's needs and it worked out really, really well. And now that the sun's out, we've got the t- two outdoor arenas, and it's just, you know, it's still, it's still working even better. And, I, but I think it it depends on a lot of good communication between between us and between our our clients. And we're going to set up a system. It hasn't been done yet, but we're going to have a mutual calendar set right in the middle of of uh, flag is up in uh, the school, and it's easily accessible, and if anyone has something special that's coming up, well, they'll go in there and put that on the calendar, and it'll be sort of up to everyone to uh, go in and take a look at that calendar and keep themselves up to date. Yeah, Hopefully, we will not have any problems by doing this, but so far, it's all been verbal
1: communication, and it's worked 100%. Yeah, good people, good, nice people, and that that helps a lot. But it doesn't always work not, out to have totally nice people all the I time. at equestrian and
6: centers. Yeah, yeah.
1: No, that's yeah. true.
6: But in a bit, by by, not, by only having two really major clients and our own operation, it it's fairly simple. Uh, I I don't know whether this would work for like the LA Equestrian Center or a place mm-hmm. like that. But this is more like a a home operation. You know, mm-hmm. our good neighbors. And uh, good so far, neighbors. everyone's been absolutely just a cooperative and a hundred percent.
1: Yeah, good. And we have a lot of events out there, so it does make sense that you, in some ways, for those bigger events, you occasionally have weddings. I know we're having the movement come oh, up yes. at the end of yes. April. You know, those bigger events like that, it is important to communicate to everybody. We're a little unusual, probably that way. Um, and then you've got well, the school. Yeah, I-
6: Yeah. Uh, And yes, we have the school, and that that has to be factored in. You know, the school has to function
1: 100% the same as the operations of of both uh, Casey and and Jude. Mm -hmm. That's true. Tell us a little bit about speaking of neighbors coming by, the quarantine facility. (laughs) As you have horses that are dropped off there or come through there on their way from another country, how does that whole quarantine? thing work. And is it, is a quarantine, can you set up a quarantine anywhere or are you, are you a destination quarantine? Tell us, tell us how that well, works.
6: First off, we're not a destination. Uh, it's not uh, from other countries. We quarantine mm-hmm. for horses from the U.S. to go to other countries. Okay. And uh, we, we are um, established, uh, I think one of the very few uh, on the West Coast and maybe only one or two Uh, on the East Coast as well, uh, to quarantine uh, properly to send horses to Australia. It's very, very difficult to get quarantine for Australia because it requires a lot of of area and it has to be an area that is totally isolated. And we've set up uh, in a canyon, which just works out perfectly to uh, keep everything far enough away and all animals out of this area. And that that works well. And then we can quarantine to go to Europe. And if if the horse is here on the on the property and they want to keep the horse in training, we can quarantine in a barn next to the racetrack. Allow the horse to go on the racetrack prior to any other horses coming on, and get exercise and then go back into their stall. And if if they're not, if that isn't the setup, uh, they will they will be hand walked. But we we quarantine both for Australia for all of Europe the middle middle east hong kong and a lot of different areas
1: but yeah. it's fun it's anyway. fun that you have it there and i can see why the the cha the certified horsemanship association had picked your facility as mm-hmm. as the ideal for a clinic in central california area like that and what is relatively nice weather if we did get a little rain on that weekend though didn't we it for did. the but for the
6: we're having people, a, a very unusual year,
1: very wet year. But it was a lot very, of fun, and I very. hope you'll do it again. I hope you'll have them back, and I think it, it's a fun thing for people to be able to come and see a facility like that and be able to spend three days. I think they were pretty full days. Um, maybe it was two and a they half, were. but it's I think they were twelve-hour days, so <laughs> it was pretty long. But it was uh, Christy Landwehr and Jill Montgomery were your leaders, and they're just mm-hmm. the top, top, top of the. Not only the CHA, the Certified Horsemanship Association, but they're also just top horsemen in their own right as well. So it was really a privilege to to have they them on. There nice were yeah,
6: yeah. we had we had some good times sitting around the table after We the, did so, yeah. the kids. Yeah,
1: we did. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was a lot wow. of fun having Chinese and fine wine from from Santa Barbara but County. There <laughs> you
6: go. How about that? Yeah, it was fun. Now uh, we're we're just really blessed though to have have a facility. That does so much. I
1: mean, this you talk about an all-around facility. We haven't even mentioned animal welfare and, and the gentling pen and how many horses that you have mm. through there that start off either from a BLM holding pen or from rescue or sanctuary or hoarding situations, you know, where mm-hmm. legal is involved and come through, are gentled, and then eventually even used in our programs, such as the Horses and Healing for Veterans. So it's it's very symbiotic and a great cycle.
6: It is, and it it's such a great thing to be able to take those horses and bring them here, put them through the program, and get send them out and give them homes where they're appreciated and where it's safe uh, for the people that, that adopt them. That's really an important part of of the whole Mustang situation. In fact, I've I've just been told we're we're blessed. We have a great life. Uh, Flag is it up. It's a wonderful place to be and a place to work.
1: Oh, very nice, very nice, Mom. Well, thanks for sharing it with everybody. It's nice you don't just keep it closed for yourself. Nope, nope. We're not selfish. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we like well, sharing. Thanks. Yeah. I appreciate that. Thank you. And thank you for sharing time today. I really appreciate it. And I'll see um, you there Monday. You're
6: welcome. Okay. See you then.
1: Take care.
6: Right. Bye bye. Bye. Whisper
4: the language of the herd. Listen, you
2: don't have to say a word. It's time for Jamie Jennings to fetch an email from Monty Roberts' inbox and share a morsel of Monty's wisdom in a little segment we like to call. Ask Monty.
3: Leave this world a better place and The magic
5: in the language of the food.
3: Dear Monty, do you recommend tying your horse in a trailer? Monty's answer. Sure, I recommend that you tie your horse in the trailer for several reasons. One reason is that if you have to stop very suddenly and the horse happens to have his head down between his front legs, he could be injured. Do not over-restrict your horse. The tie needs to only be short enough to keep him from dropping his head down between his front legs. Anytime a question comes to me about tying a horse in the trailer, I want to include in my answer the following statement. Never tie your horse up in a trailer until you have a secure closure behind him. One of the great surprises I had in store for me at the time that I went public with my first book and my demonstration was that people break this rule. My entire career up until that point was as a professional with horses on the road in competition, and I didn't see people making this mistake very often. Now that I deal with the general public, I find it is much more common than I realized. It's an extremely dangerous practice and destroys many horses each year. The lives and limbs of people are also in jeopardy when this rule is broken. When a horse is tied in a narrow place with nothing securing him from the rear, he is called upon by all inherent tendencies to pull back if he meets the tether with no rear restrictions. Once a horse is pulling back while inside a trailer, disastrous circumstances begin to occur. If it's a step-up trailer, he generally gets his hind legs outside and then under the trailer, and if it's a ramp, his hind legs reach a lower level and he generally bangs his head on the ceiling of the trailer. Injuries and even death often result. Setting that fact aside, even if there were no physical damage, the psychological damage to the horse would still be incredibly serious. Horses will become flyback artists because of this experience, and when a horse exits a trailer at extreme speeds, people can be injured or worse, and the horses can suffer injury too. At my demonstrations, I try to answer as many questions as possible. Many of the questions I am asked pertain to trailer problems. When someone comes up and says, my horse goes in the trailer just fine, I am relatively sure at this point they have either had a horse that fights the walls or ones that flies back out of the trailer. If it's a flyback artist, then I am virtually certain that someone has tied the horse up without a rear closure." There is a procedure in dealing with flyback artists, but I will reserve that for the specific question pertaining to this remedial behavior.
1: For more of these insights into good horsemanship, go to www.montyroberts.com and click on the orange banner that says, Get Free Horse Tips.
3: Hi, I'm Monty Roberts, and I'm dedicated to training horses without pain. You can learn to do it too on my Equus Online University. Western, English, the beginner or the advanced rider—it doesn't matter. You can connect with other students online too, on our forums. And there's a new lesson every week. It's a lifetime of learning for you on my Equus Online University at montyroberts.com. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Yeah.
0: where in the world is monty roberts
1: monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends Two-legged and four-legged, April 29th at the Movement, Flagazette Farms in Solvang, California. We're so excited. May one through three, we have Equine Assisted Intro to Motivational Interviewing and Solvang. That's we've done that several times. Very cool. May 25, we have a night of inspiration at Flagazette Farms with a demo and a dinner up at the house. It's really fun. July 22 through 26 is our Monty Special Training. Brazil spoken here, Portuguese, uh, and that will be for our Brazilian friends that are coming up, July 22nd through 26th, and then July 29th through August 2nd, we do it over again with different horses in English, and it's Monty's special training in California at Flagset Farms. Then August 5th through 16th, we have our Gentling Wild Horses course, the coolest hippos course I think we teach all year. It's very cool,
2: <laughs> coolest hippus course. And yeah. reminder. August 5 through 16, 2019, Gentling Wild Horses, California. You do not have to own a Mustang. You do not have to have trained a Mustang. This nope. course is appropriate for everyone who is fascinated and really wants to learn about what Mustangs really are and safe ways to handle them and Monty's methods.
1: Very cool. Yeah, you're not out there gentling. If you don't want to be, you can audit too. It's really cool to watch.
2: It's really a fascinating pro- process and Monty actually is there for this. Am I right?
1: Yes. Oh yeah. He wouldn't miss it.
2: So, <laughs> so doesn't. you can really, you can get it from the source, so to speak. Right. Yeah. And, and he doesn't sugarcoat it, doesn't fluff it. It's not just all rainbows and unicorns as they say. Oh it's, no. It's the real deal and it's real Mustangs who have never been handled. So I, re- I got to hear about it firsthand from debt, from Jamie when she did the course. Right. So I think it's it's something who people who really want to understand the horse and horse human relationships I can't I can't recommend it enough.
1: Thank you. Yeah, there. I agree. And
2: yeah. to learn more, you can go to montyroberts.com dot com, or you can just call the nice folks at Flag Is Up Farms at eight zero five six eight eight six two eight eight. And for details about today's show, that would be episode one thirty three. You can go to horsemanshipradio.com where you'll find links photos and more information about today's guests and topics and we love your feedback if you've got ideas about fascinating human beings or fascinating horses and their human beings that mm-hmm. we could talk about here on the horsemanship radio show you can put them over there on facebook just go to facebook and look for monty roberts the one with the little blue check mark you can also communicate with monty on twitter it's monty underscore roberts and of course instagram the new favorite Again, it's Monty underscore Roberts. Help the folks in your life who are less tech savvy. Listen to the show by downloading the Horse Radio Network app for their iPhone or their Android. Just take their phone from them in a quiet moment. Download the app, press the button and say, here, this is how you listen.
1: That's a great idea. I love that. (laughs) Many thanks to our sponsors too. That's Omega Fields, Cavallo Horse and Rider, and Monty Roberts University. And be sure to visit all the other great shows too. There are many on the Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com. Until next time, have many happy horse hours. (gasps) And
2: I'm going to interrupt here. Monty Roberts University,
1: can they watch the videos on their phone? They sure can. We See, built next it for time,
2: that. Next time you're stuck in traffic, you're sitting oh, by the side of the road. You've opened the car door because the traffic is going to be stuck for the next oh. four and a half half hours. You're stuck <laughs> in an airport. You're stuck in at the back. Stuck at the back of a lecture hall. Pop into Monty Roberts University, and you can watch yes. videos. So there you
1: go. They're like eight, eight to 10 minutes each one. We did it for, you know, our microwave brains that, you know, can only take so much in. And then there's like three points at the end of each one. So you're like, did I get that? Oh, I got it. It's so great. I great. I, I love it for that.
2: We. There you go. Great, great way you. to improve your brain when you can't do anything else. Instead of watching silly YouTube um, kitty videos, go to Monty <laughs> Roberts University. There you go. Go down our rabbit hole. That's there you it. go. That's my helpful hint for the day. See you next
1: time. Thank you.